only done this with more than uh, three people, more than two people. Well, here, let's start out with do this. Do you want to give a... Uh, okay, what? what let's what let's start, start out with a shout-out for our friend Sam Cannon. There we go. We love it. The Record Lounge, Three Hive. Uh, it's a minimalist haven. I love it that it doesn't have crap all over the walls and everything. I love it. It's just, it's just music. It's vinyl. He has unbelievably great selection and taste. And the prices are fantastic. That's awesome. Um, I'll start out with a declaration. Okay, do it. Public Enemy is The Clash. Sex Pistols are NWA. Oh, wow. Well, how did you come to that? I was just thinking about it. I was, I was thinking about how every so often, given whatever art form you want, uh, something kind of comes along and it's like a signpost and it points in a new direction. And sometimes those signpost uh, bands, or it seems like a lot of the time, um, they're angry, protesting, frustrated, and resonant. And uh, you kind of get the Malcolm X extremes, like maybe it, maybe the NWA and, and um, Sex Pistols, they kind of... Uh, are like shots across the sky. They burn out pretty quickly, mm-hmm. but they have profound impact. Huge resonance. Yeah, whether it's cultural or political. There always seems like there's a lot of political, socioeconomic, and cultural uh, messages in their meaning in their and meaning in their songs. And, and to me, the Clash was kind of that in that they were um, they crossed a lot of genres. They they morphed and changed, uh, but their messaging was never. Uh, dampened because of that and uh, then I think Public Enemy was that I, I don't care who you are what you think Public Enemy was the best hip hop group ever yeah a- and um, they had the most poignant uh, not only best songs but me- best messages ever and um, there may, may have been bands before them like Run DMC that were probably more important to the direction of the music but I don't think anybody was ever better than Public Enemy Looking for the same thing, it's a new thing. Check out this, I bring all the rope below the level because I'm living low next to the base. Come on, turn up Do you the think radio. The Clash are the best punk band of all time. I, don't, I think they're the best band of all time because I think that if you look at their albums, like Give Them Enough Rope, their first, uh, their first couple albums, you could probably call those punk albums if you want to. Punk is more uh, of an attitude than a mu- music. I think that they were the band that uh, crossed borders. And moved out of a genre because if you look at, there's really nothing that you can really say is punk rock about London Calling or no, Sandinista. Yeah. Combat rock a little bit, but from a style, a musical style, not at all. No, yeah. Um, but uh, the thing that that they did 100% right is they followed their inst- instincts in their heart in London Calling. And every song on that album is a different type of genre, is, yeah. and it's a different type of song. And um, not since the Beatles, and, and the Beatles, see, the Beatles created the culture of uh, music critics because every music critic grew up with the Beatles, and the Beatles, because of uh, where they are, where they came from, when American music would come over there, uh, like Rock Around the Clock with Bill Haley and the Comets. 
So Rock Around the Clock or, you know, whatever, all these really rock and roll songs, before they were rock and roll songs, they were country songs and they were blues or rhythm and blues songs. But the problem was that uh, artists of uh, African-American descent, they could only chart so high on the uh, uh, record charts at that point in time. So maybe they could get as high as 25. And the same thing with a country music or country western uh, singer at that time. So then they would, the labels would take their, their blues song or their um, country western song and they'd give it to a rock and roll band like Bill Haley and the Comets and they would make it into a pop rock and roll song and then it would chart as number one. Then they would pack up all three versions and they would ship them over to England. In places like Liverpool and stuff that were port cities, these kids on Saturdays, you know, Pete Townsend, uh, Paul McCartney, John Lennon, Mick Jagger, they would go into the record stores and they would see whatever was new from America. Well, they would get all three versions of that song and they were all new to them. Yeah. And they loved all three of them. They loved the Western, they loved the country Western, they loved the blues, and um, they loved the rock uh, uh, songs. And then they would incorporate them and they would play them. And the Beatles would play them so much that they got better at those songs and they Beatleized them better than the original artists. So when um, the Beatles came over to the United States, they were saying, hey, where's this guy Muddy Waters? Mainstream American press, they had no idea who Muddy Waters were, but they knew who he was because they got his albums over there. Yeah, and, and, Fat's Domino. Yeah, all these, all these kind of uh, musicians from that time. Um, so when the Beatles put out albums, they would put out a country western song on the album, they would do a... Uh, rhythm and blues song, they'd do a classic rock and roll song, and they would do a blues song all across the album. And so the critics, that generation of critics, they grew up and they said, this is what makes a great album. This is what makes a great band. They can play across all these different genres and styles. And you see that even into the 70s. If you look at Led Zeppelin albums, they're not all hard rock albums. They've no, yeah, bluegrass yeah. songs totally, on there. Totally. They've folk songs on there. Yeah. And so there's a lot of those bands that are still trying to do that. That kind of died out, and bands just went genre-specific. Like if you look at uh, Judas Priest's album, A British Steel, probably the first real, what we'd consider heavy metal album, both stylistically and then the song. Yeah. There's no bluegrass songs in that or anything. No, it's, yeah. it's straight heavy metal all the way through. Well, then when you get to London Calling a couple years later, The Clash kind of blew that up again and said, okay, we're going to go back, and we like... You know, this song that's a uh, rock and roll song. We like this song, Jimmy Jazz, which is kind of this uh, rhythm and blues song. We, we like we like these songs, so we're going to do them, but we're going to make them into Clash songs. Yeah. And and, and we're not going to do just punk rock songs that are rock and roll songs played at a high velocity and, uh, you know, scream about socialism. <laughs> we're we're going we're, we're gonna to do songs about things that we like, and we're going to bring in pop cultural references, and you really see that in Combat Rock. Yeah, where, where they bring in, you know, they, they love Scorsese and Taxi Driver. Driver. Yeah, Lauren they, Bacall. They, Lauren Bacall. Car jamming. Yeah, yeah. So they they talk about uh, you know all these things and they create great illusions. We're being stuck in a car jams like they're imagining that the other people are animals in a zoo and and it, it you know and, and it's just uh, you know they they just matured as artists. Now there's a lot of artists, you know, bands that I love at certain sectors in their life, and then when they mature into artists that are much more mainstream. They kind of left me, and I don't like them. R.E.M.s, yeah. probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, The Clash is one of those that I liked them from the beginning, and then they matured into something that I liked even better. Interesting. But are you a big fan of Big Audio Dynamite after um, they split? 
Because did Strummer do? He did his own thing, but Jones yeah, he, went on to big idea. Yeah, Strummer, um, Mascaleros, he created his own band. He did some solo stuff. Um, he got he, he did a new version of the Clash, where they were more of a punk rock protest song. He was always that political edge, whereas Mick Jones was much more of he was interested in street music and street beats. Yeah, um, th- that's I mean that's part of the masterful creative process is you've got to have yin and yang. So. Strummer by himself was good. Uh, Jones by himself was good. The two of them together, because it created conflict and they were there were checks and balances in there, which made it fantastic. It's like Lennon and McCartney. Lennon by himself was okay. McCartney by himself was okay. Together they were fantastic. Yeah, you know, yeah. That, that's that's with a lot of artists you you, know, you have to you have, have these have conflicting the, ideas yeah. that creates compromise, which makes. Uh, great like sections and Venn diagrams of creativity. Great, great art, um, and Crossroads. probably I think better than than by themselves. More disciplined. Yeah, you'll you'll find those fans who love John Lennon and love his solo stuff and think he was great. And his stuff in the Beatles is the best. That they'll think that. <laughs> yeah, 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 and um, but I don't know. I'm not one of those. I I think that there's there's uh, something out of conflict uh, that. Uh, creates creativity and that compromise of ideas. It's like, for example, if you have a director of a film who has grand ideas and his head is in the clouds, you need to have a producer of that film with feet yeah. on the ground. Yeah, and and, and it, you, so you have to have the pragmatism and the everyman sensibility uh, together with that. If you just have the artist all by himself, he, he or she'll make terrific art. It's not gonna be appreciated for a hundred years. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of like Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks. Like they could hardly stand each other when they worked together, yeah. but what they made together was fantastic. And and Mel Brooks' best stuff was with Gene Wilder. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Richard and Richard Pryor. Yeah, th- yeah. There's there's a lot of that. That a lot of that conflict. I think Orson Welles, a lot of his greatest stuff, he was fighting the studio. Yeah. And um, he knew he was right. He was new. Coppola, same thing. Yeah, they had they they they're. And at the time, you can't tell the artist that, and they, and they hate it, and they will deny it. Um, but there's something about that that creates it. A lot of times, when you see these artists and their solo projects, it's it, it's too esoteric. Yeah. It may be fantastic, but boy, it flew right past me. Yeah. 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 I uh, I think Orson Welles is a great example, but I feel like at the end of his life, he kind of was more aware of it, especially since he has. The they'll love me when I'm dead quote yeah. and everything. He was a little bit more yeah. aware of his time. Well, I think I think uh, artists realize that too. You know, they they realize that um, that especially guys like Orson Welles were brilliant or genius. Um, that the world just may not be ready for them. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Who do you think musically would be like that? Well, there's probably a lot of them right now. Uh, they're probably really underappreciated. Uh, and uh, controversial. controversial. Um, I, I think there's a, uh, you know, I don't know if I can put my finger on one artist and say th- this is it. Violent Femmes. Uh, at the time. Not, a, not a, like a genius perspective, but they didn't get their, like, yeah, the, their due Femmes, diligence in, like, the 90s. Well, yeah, no, it, it was it was way too late. So, so Violent Femmes, because they, they were college rock, and they had that, they had that... Uh, Following? Yeah, that following, but... The the thing that 
that Violent Femmes, they were much like the Velvet Underground, who they really imitated. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was going to say Velvet Underground was my next one. Yeah, you look at it, and they there were not a lot of fans at the time. When I went and saw Violent Femmes in concert, I could have countered everybody there in the audience. Yeah. So there were not a lot of us there. Um, and oh, it was at 83 in, in Corvallis, Oregon. Um, 84, maybe. Um, the, but everyone who kind of saw them play said... God, these bozos can make an album. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we put can, on a couple. Same thing with Velvet Underground. Velvet Underground, same thing. This, it, 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 Jonathan Rich, uh, Richmond mo- created Modern Lovers after he saw the Velvet Underground, started playing a bunch of Velvet songs, and, and, and he basically said, "Okay, you don't have to have. Yeah, I don't, I don't have to be Rod Stewart to be able to make this yeah, work. I don't even have to be able to sing. That guy no, Lou yeah. Reed just he, talks. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, exactly. I always thought Velvet Underground, I always thought Velvet Underground and Nico was just beat poetry set over, or slam poetry set over a beat. Yeah. With like, and then you just have noise. Yeah. But, yeah, John just Cale. poetry. Yeah. And I, I think, I think, um, that was the ethos, kind of that Velvet Underground, only they were a little bit higher level, but then uh, Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers, and then all those bands from CBGB, Ramones, uh, television, Blondie, all of them came out of that do-it-yourself mentality. They, I, we don't need to have super high production value, and and we, we can go out and do it, and, and we can create a album. That first Ramones album, when that hit, everybody was like, okay, there's nothing to it. It's a picture of the guys on the front, and but all the magic is inside of this thing on this vinyl. Yeah. And it's stripped down, and it's... It's not Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and Boston, no, yeah. all these bands who take a year and a half in the studio to make the perfect sound and these big bombastic sounds. It's the opposite of that. And, the, and Sex Pistols was the same thing. You look at that album cover, never mind the bollocks. There's nothing No, 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 not at all. It, it, it looks like, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and, I mean, they had to go to court. Um, what's his name? Um, David uh, Geffen, not Geffen. Who was the uh, Virgin Records? Um, uh, what's his name? Um Super, one of the wealthiest men in the world. Um, Anyway, he went to court because they had Bullocks on the title of that album, and he had to go, and he won. Um, But he went to court. Richard Branson? Richard Branson, there we go. Yeah, so Richard Branson. He went to court uh, so that a virgin, his uh, record label, could put that out, and it was okay to have that. But if you look at it, it's super plain. There's nothing it's, about yeah, it. Yeah, it's super plain. Everything's on the vinyl, it, yeah. and it's all that, and that, and that, and it's that music, and that's what you know. I think. So you you talk about uh, genius and ahead of their time, and not appreciated until long after. Yeah, Violent Femmes for that reason. Yeah, everybody who heard that, um, and plus Gordon Gano, his, his the way he sings, he sounds like a whiny little person. Totally, a, 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 a kind of a wimp. And he's singing these songs, and he's saying stuff that probably a lot of people have felt. But man, it's courageous getting up there and saying no, totally that kind of stuff. Um, and I did uh, not like the Sex Pistols the first time I heard them because of his voice. Oh, you mean Johnny? Rotten. Oh no, yeah, 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 yeah sorry, Johnny yeah. Rotten. Yeah, yeah, no, his no, his voice is terrible. I mean, they're not great musicians either. It's it's kind of the three notes, but but yeah, Gordon Gano, Violent Femmes, and. It, um, and that kind of brings up kind of the second part of any sort of artistic endeavor. If you think about it, uh, there's a huge amount of courage because basically uh, if an artist puts their all into something and especially if they're pushing the boundaries and, they're out, and they put themselves out there and they launch it out for public view, 
it's like being stripped naked and thrown out in the middle of an arena. Totally. Uh, uh, and um, yeah, with with no yeah, it, it, it's a uh, um, so you, 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 when when car, uh, artists are criticized and stuff like that, you can see why they pull back and get a little reticent about putting it, putting themselves out there. I kind of see. Uh, there's always been that um, like huge famous story about Velvet Underground that everyone who listened to that album, like, what, only 1,000 people listened to the album, but everyone who did went out and made a band. Yeah. Uh, I kind of feel like that's today with, like, films, too. Like, I feel like people are saying, oh, I could do this. I don't need big studio. I don't need to, like, wait or anything like that. a Crenshaw. There's a lot of, exactly, yeah, Yeah. there's a lot of movies that you watch that you're like, I could do this. They did it, and then people go out and they start doing it. Well, it was a French New Wave, right? Yeah. There were film fans who said... I can Camera, this. a I can girl, a guy, and a gun. That's all I need. Yeah, that's all. I, I can create a compelling story off of that. And it's that minimalist. We, we don't need studio sets. We can shoot in houses. We can shoot in cars. We can shoot in the city. We can shoot in the streets. You know, we, we don't need any of this set design. We don't need no, any yeah. of this kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah. And, and no, that, that's... I, I think that uh, the difference now is that the technology is so much greater that the production value can be so much better and cost you nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's so readily available, too. If you just think about animation with computers and computers, oh, yeah. it's no. fabulous. Yeah. Compu- uh, yeah. It's like just being in college, just knowing about like having editing com- software on your laptop. Yeah. Like if you have a camera and a laptop, like you have a whole production studio right oh, there. Absolutely. You're done. Your phone. I mean, a phone yeah. right now is Well, no, amazing. yeah. There's yeah. a movie that uh, premiered at Sundance four five years ago called tangerine that was all shot on an yeah. iphone yeah two hour feature like film yeah it's it, it, it's it, insane who did that it was uh sean baker yeah i wanted to say spike jones but it was no sean i mean that's baker. something that sean, spike jones would do yeah yeah sean baker um we have your list here of your favorite movies and albums of all time it's bogus so we're I not going if, if you gave me that to ask me to make that list tomorrow it'd be completely different oh no but it's, it's just how i'm feeling well no right it's, it's no exactly so, yeah, so like yeah. at the moment and that's i yeah. think that's how favorites yeah. always are yeah whenever people ask you yeah. like one day i'm feeling really like kurosawa the next yeah. day i'm feeling really hitchcock if, if i watched incredibles uh again i would say okay favorite superhero movie of all time yeah yeah, 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 yeah totally yeah. or like even like unbreakable but then you watch yeah. Something more recent. Yeah. 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 It yeah. always fluctuates. But yeah. we'll just... I mean, we're not going to get through all of this either yeah. um, with, the t- with the hour that we have. But we'll just go one by one. And, and these lists, they are so highly uh, subjective. So subjective. So, this isn't best it, of all time. This yeah. is your favorite. Because yeah. for best film or favorite films, I could have put uh, Alvin Costello, Meet the Invisible no, Man. No, exactly, yeah. Because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's probably celluloid trash, but... I have such a strong emotional connection of watching that on the black and white TV in my brother's room as a little kid with him. Yeah. And us laughing so hard and imitating it, that is a favorite, right? No, 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 totally. Yeah. And yeah. so, well, that and that's that's the whole thing about favoritism. I don't think I mean, I don't think you could ever say there is a greatest film of all time or at least because you can make an argument for so many different movies because they're all so different. But I think the same thing for favorite movies. I don't like to rank mine in a number order, but yeah. I just have like a like a 50 or like a 100 them. I'm just like, these are like the ones that I think about the most. These yeah. are the ones I like to watch the most. We're, we'll just go through these, but I want to talk about each of them. 
Yeah. First, I, I'd, I'd put good, bad, and the ugly on there, too. You did? Oh, did you really? Yeah, I, did. I, I didn't put it on there, but I should. You should. It's one of my uh, favorites. Well, yeah. I didn't like that one until I watched it. Or I, actually, I liked it. I really liked it. But it was last year we, when you and I watched it last and February. I watched it and I was like, ago, oh, my gosh. On, uh, you and I watched it together years ago on Martin Luther King Day. Yes. In, in Missouri and... For some reason or another, I don't know if your mom had the heat cranked up or something. We were both just like not it was, feeling it. No, it was a miserable experience. But it was last February, you and I watched it again. Yeah, and we were like, like, oh my gosh, this is this insane. Movie. It's yeah. like three movies in one. Yeah. Okay, first one, North Northwest. Yeah, it begins and ends right there. Now, I, I know that that's probably Hitchcock's most popular and all this kind of yeah. stuff. So, North by Northwest, I sat on a couch uh, in, my, in our living, family room. I was probably 10 or 11 years old, on a Saturday afternoon and watched it. And uh, I remember it was one of those movies where it was a movie that my dad liked. him. So um, my dad uh, was a projectionist at the movie theater in, in Brigham City when he was a kid. And he was, my dad had seen every movie and he loved movies. Yeah. And this was one, uh, one that he really liked. And I remember watching, watching that and uh, thinking... Um, I like adult movies. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is the this first is one big, where you're like, this is... This is a big person movie. And it's yeah. not one of those transitional movies like where it's silly, like Don, a Don Knotts or a Herbie movie, but it's live action. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. This is a legitimate uh, kind of... Um, I don't want to say adult theme because that sounds like it was something that's It was not, made for like... Yeah. General audiences, yeah. but really adults like yeah. characters. Adult characters. And, yeah, and I... And I continue to love that movie, and every time I watch it, I love it. And my favorite thing to wa- to do is to watch it late on a Friday night. Yes, I don't I don't know what it is. There's something just magic about that. Um, but uh, everything from the score, which is fabulous, to the opening credits, the way that they they do it, just the stylized graphics. I love that period of time. Uh, I love uh, Cary Grant's. Socially charming, shallow character. Yes, uh, that um, kind of finds himself. I love, I love his journey in this film. James Mason is the greatest, coolest villain oh, yeah. of all time. Oh yeah, and he and he delivers. That's the thing about this movie is so that this, the screenplay is brilliantly written. Oh, gosh. Dialogue alone. Yeah, the the story format is fantastic, but like the lines. For these characters are perfectly delivered oh. by Cary Grant, Eva Marie Saint, oh. and James Mason. No, no, they're the no, per- per- no. perfect choices to deliver these it, lines. From dialogue, it's I mean, to catch a thief is probably the best, but this is right up there with it. Yeah. The other thing that they they did with this film, um, which is is if you think of the title of this movie, North by Northwest, it doesn't make any sense. No. And and it it's like a dog chasing its tail. And if you're going to go north, but you're going to take an off way to get there, you're going to go, you're in Chicago, then you go over to South Dakota. Um, I, I, I just love, I think that the title's fantastic. It's, it's wonderful. And of course, it's Hitchcock, and I am a freaking uh, baby for Hitchcock. I'm a fan. For, I worship at the altar of Alfred Hitchcock. I think it's funny that uh, with North Northwest, so Hitchcock had the idea for the story, and he hired... Uh, uh, I'm not uh, gonna. I'm not he's gonna written a bunch there. of stuff. Yeah, he wrote Family Plot. Yeah. He wrote a ton of them. But uh, I forgot his name too. He uh, he hired him to write it, and while they're writing it, Hitchcock was talking to James Stewart, and he was like, "I." Uh, it was right after Vertigo. He was like, "I'm doing this movie," and James yeah. Stewart just assumed 
that the role of Roger Thornhill was going to go to him. And so he would have been great. So he would have been good. But I, but then Hitchcock was like, he knew he wanted to carry Grant. So he waited till he knew that James Stewart had another obligation. And then, so he, then he offered the part so he could, so he had to turn it down so he could get Cary Grant. But I do think just like by a hair, Cary Grant, delivers this it's like it's, oh, it's it's he has the best sense of humor to deliver because he, he can i don't know that jimmy stewart can play a shallow guy no no no, no. Where, he's where, way too no. i mean he kind of does a rear window but he's still a good guy yeah yeah no you still love him yeah he, he's yeah, yeah but Cary grant you kind of love him for how transparent he is yes no it's great it's it, just how it, honest it, he well, is. yeah he's honest about it the, the other thing that uh, uh, Hitchcock, he wanted to promote this film. He had this visual that he wanted Cary Grant hanging from George Washington's nose. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that great? That's how it all started. It was, yeah, the, yeah. It was the run across the yeah. Mount Rushmore yeah. statues. And then I think that's so cool that that's the one idea yeah. and the one set piece. And they just make that a whole movie it. around it. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's, it's fantastic. I love that movie. That movie will never get old for me. I've seen that movie yeah. upwards of 50 times. And yeah, for some too. reason, every time I see it, it's just fresh I again. Can't, I can't do it. It's, it's I, so, I, I, yeah. It's I never so, tire of it. It's so perfectly written. His yeah. mom, it's, it's oh, fantastic. It's perfect. It's perfect. No, it's, it's, it's perfect. I know. I look vaguely familiar. Yes. You feel you've seen me somewhere before. Mm-hmm. Funny how I have that effect on people. It's something about my face. It's a nice face. You think so? I wouldn't say it if I didn't. Oh, you're that type. What type? Honest. Not really. Good, because all these women frighten me. Should I skip this next one or should I go well, with we it? We should just at least mention it. Rear window. Rear window. Goes enough said. Yeah, enough said. You don't say anything else. And... and, and uh, if you're not gonna have uh, Eva Marie Saint, Grace Kelly Grace is Kelly's perfect. Fabulous. Yeah, yeah, I love her. Yeah, she, she and to catch a thief, her and Cary Grant, the best verbal sparring and dialogue oh. in a film ever. Yeah, yeah amazing. Fantastic. I bet they love that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> taxi driver. Uh, okay, so taxi driver. I have, a, I have an odd history with taxi driver. So I had read a lot about taxi driver. I'd heard about taxi driver. I read a article on Paul Schrader. I'd read about Martin Scorsese and all these things, but I'd never seen Taxi Driver, but I'd heard all about it. So my parents get HBO and Showtime when I'm probably 12. And suddenly all these movies and stuff that I'd read about are showing. Are showing. And I watched Taxi Driver and I felt like I'd been violated. <laughs> I felt like I lost a piece of my soul when I watched that movie. I, I was just like, oh my gosh. I don't think I'll ever be the same again. I'm I, I, I'm embarrassed to talk to my parents now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I'd done yeah. something wrong. It was such a hard-hitting, gritty, gritty uh, film. I didn't feel like that about a film again until I saw Reservoir Dogs. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. It was another time I felt that. I just felt like, oh, my gosh, I've lost some of my virtue if I had any. But uh, <laughs> um, So I, I watched Taxi Driver, but it just stuck with me. And those images, and and probably I don't know if it was in such a great way, but then I read more analysis of the film, and I read and read more about Paul Schrader and Martin Scorsese, and the story behind it, and I suddenly saw what was going on, and I didn't just take it as that surface shock value. Uh, you know, suck on this. No, no, no. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and all these. The Mohawk. Yeah, yeah the Mohawk and, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, sport. It, it, and um, 
I, I, I saw it kind of through, not, I don't want to say the creator's eyes, but through a little bit of their intent and, yeah. and understood it a lot better. And then the deep psychology of the character stood out to me and I understood what they were trying to do. Now, I know that it had rough historical events and that yeah, quickly yeah. saw it and shot President Reagan uh, because of, it was inspired by that film. But um, it's one of those films where I, I keep going back to it and I can almost watch it now with the sound off and, and just look, look not only just at the craftsmanship, of, of, but the way he does the shots and De Niro's eyes in that film. Um, I've never seen an actor um, tell you so much and portray so much just from his eyes, um, where he's looking in his rearview mirror. Um, when you know, just, yeah, himself yeah, in the, the mirror. Yeah, yeah, there's just so when much. When he's talking to Sybil Shepherd. Yeah, the, he, he uh, De Niro does something in that film that um, yeah, it, it's just uh, Taxi Driver has this really weird editing that's almost like jazz music it has such a rhythm to it i've always whenever i watch it, i always notice the editing it's so like it's new york it's so new york it's a it's beating like and new raging york. bull has it too but i don't see it a lot in scorsese's later movies but it's just yeah. like this like yeah i don't know it's yeah. weird like there's a specific scene where when robert de niro first walks into the campaign office for uh i can't remember yeah, the guy's yeah, name yeah, but yeah. to talk to civil shepherd yeah and uh, there's just like all the the way they edit the shots all together. I'm just like this is so, like I don't know. It's so. There's, there's it's so, just rhythmic. When he when the the scene that I I keep going back to because it's so real to me, is De Niro is desperately looking for direction. He knows that he's lost. He he has this darkness in him and he he kind of fears it. So he reaches out to um, a young Frankenstein. I can't remember the actor's name. Um, can't remember his character in this either, but he's one of the oh, other Jackson Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Peter uh, Boyle. Yeah, yeah. Peter Boyle. And he asks, he, he tells him, hey, I'm having these bad things going on and, and all this kind of stuff. And and Peter Boyle is the classic American man's response in that, I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, he, and he gives him no direction. And Is it the next scene that he's with Martin Scorsese in the car? Or is it a little uh, bit after might, that? It, it might be. It's either that or, or he gets the guns. Oh, okay. He makes a decision. Okay, I'm... Uh, I have to lean into this. Uh, yeah, I, I, I need to be this avenging angel. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's... But that whole scene with Peter Boy, you can tell, the way he plays it, he is uh, off-put. He doesn't know what to say. He's uncomfortable. And and he's giving him no, non-answers. No, yeah. And, and, and so, he, for a character like that who's on on the hinge uh, and is about to swing the other way, um, that's the wrong thing. That's super interesting. I always thought it was the scene when he's sitting with Scorsese in the car and he's about to go kill his wife. And he's like looking back at him and kind of just like, oh, this guy, I kind of pick up on what this guy, how this guy thinks. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of rage in this city and I'm feeling it. And yeah, Yeah. Yeah. You talking to me? You talking to me? Talking to me? Oh, yeah? Huh? Okay. 
Um, I always battle between Taxi Driver and Raging Bull for which one, which Scorsese film I like more. But I, the, I, I the can never. greater film of Raging Bull. I mean, from from a shot, film, film from the whole from soup yeah, to yeah. nuts. It Ra- Rage, Raging Bull. It, it, there are scenes like this in Taxi Driver. Raging Bull, you feel like you're a peeping tom. Yeah, and you're watching. Uh, it's so guy. authentic. Yeah, it's so, yeah, yeah. It's so authentic. Yeah. Um, Seven Samurai. Yeah, um, that was Seven Samurai. I don't think it was the first real foreign film that I saw, but it was early, and I had uh, read a lot about Kurosawa, and so I was really interested in it. And um, I had seen The Magnificent Seven before, and I didn't know the connection. And I watched Sa- Seven Samurai, and I was like, this freaking dorch ripped off Kurosawa, right? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, and, but I, uh, the thing that I remember uh, most, the first time I watched it was uh, the humanity of these samurai and how they were all so different, how they, how they came together, how, uh, what's his name, Tenshio uh, Mufani... How he get dies by getting stuck in the butt at the end, which I thought was great. Yeah. Um, um, but but the other thing was, uh, I I, th- I thought it was this um, great heroic story uh, um, that I don't know. It just stuck with me, and I, I and I've watched it many many times after that, and I just and I still I just I love that story, and I love the story of the heroes um, these. Outcast, starving, masterless Ronin, coming together to save these farmers for nothing. Yeah, and sacrifice their, their lives. Um, I don't know who wrote that story. Like originally, yeah, it's but like a folk tale. It now. is, but Kurosawa crafted that thing like none other. It yeah, was fantastic, and I I love the um, the underdogs coming together and overthrowing the overlords. Yeah, it's Bugs great. Life. Yeah, yeah, as I say, Bugs Life, Magnificent yeah. Seven. Yeah. They all take a... There's a gangster film that's made Take a note too. out of it. Yeah. Seven Samurai is yeah. fantastic. I want to watch that again. I just never... I, whenever I want to watch it, I'm just like, I don't have the time to watch this three-hour movie right now. Um, you got to make it. But this it. next one is one of the movies I've watched the most uh, since I've been, like, an adult. Yeah. I, li- I liked it in high school, yeah. but it wasn't until I was, like, 20 that I actually, like really like learn to love it i thought it was really slow blade runner so blade runner blade runner's a weird one because i was out on an island for a long time on this so blade runner came out in theaters and flopped everyone hated it everyone hated it and uh then a year later was on hbo and i i watched it and i was blown away by the special effects and the world that they created and the craft and everything, and I loved it, I, and I, I, I just could not believe why nobody liked it. So at that time, you had zero access to information, so everything, you had to get lucky to see a, a clip on TV about yeah. anything like this. So I'd go to the public library, and I, I pulled out all the old Time magazines and Newsweeks, that, and I read all the reviews on it. I looked up anything I could on Blade Runner, and there was nothing out there. Ridley Scott, very little on him. Yeah. And so this, this uh, Blade Runner, Runner, I would rent it at the video store. I would watch it all the time. My friends in high school got tired about me talking about Blade Runner. They didn't care about it. I go to BYU as a freshman, and we do this calendar our freshman year, and I put down Blade Runner as my favorite film. I make everybody on our floor watch it. They all loved it. And uh, it, 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 just, it was just always this film. In high school, I, I went to this comic book store and ordered 
a Blade Runner movie poster that I took to college with me and I put it on my college dorm room wall um, and it took forever for this guy uh, to get it. He said he couldn't, he went to, he found it by mistake at a comic convention. That's so, uh, yeah, so yeah. cool. But, uh, I, and I, I just, th- there was, it was this, and it was before I knew uh, kind of like this neo-punk kind of world that it was. I, I just knew that stylistically it, it was so different. And, and, and if you look at Ridley Scott at that time, um, his films were really that way. Alien was really that yeah. way. Um, all that Geiger stuff that he doesn't, uh, that they have in Alien and all those worlds that he doesn't explain it to you. And then uh, in Blade Runner, it's so much the same way. I just, uh, I just absolutely love that in that world. And I loved that it was this noir-type story uh, in the future. We're running out of time. No, no, no. We're totally fine. I was just making sure. I just was keeping track of it. Yeah, yeah Blade Runner is fantastic. Still, I think it's better than 2049, but I do oh, like 2049. 2049's great. It's its own. It's its own. It's thing. totally its own thing. Yeah, but um, now it's so much easier to do those things because of, of technology yeah. and, and to create that look. 2049 is bleak. Uh, they've stripped away everything. They, yeah. they kind of went opposite of what, which makes sense uh, in the chrono- chronology of how they have that world forming. But uh, to me, um, Blade Runner... Now, Here's the thing. A lot of people jumped on the Blade Runner bandwagon. Totally. I, I, I didn't know anybody unless the people I converted to that film that even yeah. cared about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, they would say, oh, yeah, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, all this kind of stuff. And I would say, no, Blade Runner. Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, I like Blade Runner more than any of the Star Wars movies. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah. And, and, Personally. And, so yeah, it was one of those things where I, 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 I just really against the grain on it. And, and finally, people came around to it. Yeah, when did people yeah. start like actually liking it? it was, like the thousands, right? Like the two thousands. It seems like it. Uh, there were a couple guys in law school that I knew that liked it, um, but uh, no, there, it just it, it was one of those things that it was it was culty for a long yeah. time. Yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. Harrison Ford. Yeah, Harrison Ford. I remember uh, Time Magazine criticizing him for his haircut. There's movie. one Harrison Ford movie I'm surprised isn't on here. Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. Let's I talk that. about that. I, I, yeah, I'd be happy to talk about Raiders. I, I, I knew you'd want to talk about it. Anyway. Yeah, I was. I, I, yeah. I look, while yeah. you're talking, I looked down at the list. I was like, yeah. Raiders. That's the, kind it's of the perfect movie. Uh, it is. It is perfect. perfect. It's the perfect movie. Um, Another movie that never gets old. No, you, and, and I'll, I'll sit down and watch it every time it's on. It, yeah. It 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 has the perfect character in Indiana yep. Jones. Yep. And, and I, I mean, I wouldn't care if they didn't make any other Indiana Jones movies. It just Raiders was, was that's enough. fine. Yeah, yeah. It, um, I mean, the other ones are. I mean, I love Last Crusade and yeah. Temple of Doom. Yeah, and and I and at first I hated what's her name as the um, the female lead in that. Um, what's her name? Karen. Uh, Karen away. Allen. Karen Allen. I, I thought she was horrible. Um, Did she pass away? Yeah, and I think I think she passed away a couple years ago. Oh man. Uh, um, I think so. I could be wrong. Okay, I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't. I don't keep track of Karen. Well, she was kind of just. She, she was just on Animal House before that, right? Uh, yeah, she had been. She was in Superman. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that was Margot Kidder. Sorry. Um, <laughs> she was. She was another thing, but so, I, I didn't like Karen Allen that, and still there's scenes that grate on me. But to hang out with Indiana Jones. You, she would have to be like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and to live in that life, she would have to be like that. So, um, but everything else, I mean, th- that film, um, it, it's a serial. It's those five-minute serial films 
strung together. Yeah. The way that the way that they edited, cut, and shot that thing, um, it, it was revolutionary. At the time when I saw it, I didn't know. I just knew I loved that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like they just took that idea of kind of a James Bond-like character, Americanized it, and it's so much better. So much better. So, so much, much better. So much better. And that's what Spielberg, Spielberg even said, was I want to make a James Bond movie. They'll yeah. never let me. Yeah. This is my take on it. I love how that movie, it's it's it utilizes the story in a way that everywhere that characters go, you go with them, and it's entertaining. From being put into the pit... Yeah. To coming yeah. out, fighting the guys on the on the uh, yeah on the airplane, following the truck yeah. onto the boat. It's it, like everywhere they yeah. go, they make it thrilling. And it and uh, uh, the, my my favorite lines of all time. It it's uh, you know it's not the age, it's the mileage. Yeah, I mean that's such it's a, such great, a great, line. great line. Yeah, it's such a great line. Raiders yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and that they gave him a whip and I mean and, yeah every, and a revolver every, every, yeah and a revol- everything is perfect in that film the fedora the look everything it's all and Jim Stranko is the one who drew, drew it so and how is it how is it that they uh, like first try made it so iconic like how is how I don't know it's like that movie is like a like one the, in a million chance the, that you make something everything aligned Spielberg had the power Lucas had the power at that point in time that they could they could do that kind of stuff. And um, there was uh, just enough mix in there. Um, the only thing I can really think that would be like would be like King Solomon's Mines, or like well, they drew from all of that, right? But that, like, there's nothing yeah. like that. No. It's so insane. No, it's 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 so much better. It's if you think about it, and this is the genius of Lucas. Um, if if you if you strip down Star Wars because he loved Kurosawa, yeah. What that is is a really cool version of samurai battles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Darth Vader looks just like a samurai, yeah, totally. full, full armor. The stormtroopers look a lot like that, and and then then to make these Jedi's, these monks, and yeah. these warrior monks, and instead of giving them swords, we're going to give them these lightsaber things, which are the coolest weapon ever. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 and and to have that, and then you have this cowboy character and this Han Solo. I mean. That's another one where the characters are the, the they're so Perfect. iconic, but if you look at it from the original mind of, of Lucas on that is, I want to make a really cool samurai yeah. film, but I really like space kind of stuff, so it's this fascinating blend. I can't do samurai better than Kurosawa, but what if I were to do space samurai? And I also like this gunslinger type character yeah. who's kind of this. Uh, yeah, I mean, just, yeah. Those guys, man, they're yeah. wildly creative. I'm yeah. only going to do a couple more on this list. <laughs> uh, there, there are a lot. I mean, yeah. they're great. I mean, we'll, we'll be doing another episode at some point yeah. in the future. We can get through sure. this. Uh, I want to talk Fargo uh, and then Godfather Part 2. So Fargo. Uh, uh, favorite Coen Brothers for me, for sure. Yeah, I, I like, uh, yeah, that's, it's hard to say. I mean, Because you also have No Country for Old Men no on country, here. I know, I love No Country, I love Fargo. I, I, I love, um, and Paul Thomas Anderson is, is fabulous this way too, but the Coen brothers, um, they use environment uh, so well. Oh, so, so well. I mean, Fargo, it, it, God, that might as well be on the freaking moon. Come on, yeah. I mean, there is, and they show it in all these shots where there's nothing. That you know, parking lot <laughs> shot where it's... Uh, from up above? Yeah. Him walking <laughs> his car? There's nothing there. There's nothing. The, the, yeah, the opening the, sequence uh, on those, and and if you've ever been in the Midwest, you've driven on those stupid that you know that highways. Area. Yeah, it's just dead 
in the middle of winter, it's and and, and so Fargo, and you and your protagonist, she's pregnant, she's having morning sickness. Um, I know she's married to one of those guys, but I love her. She's so she's so fantastic. She is. She's, she's great in everything she does. But but in Fargo, um, and, and she and there's all they get the cultural things right. You look at so No Country perfectly. for Old Men. You look at Fargo, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou. They have they pull the nuanced little things out of the local well, culture, and it just it's rings perfect. true. And raising Arizona is a great example. Raising yeah. Arizona. What, oh what, my god! What's perfect? I, I love the part in Fargo. Whenever, uh, uh, what's his name? Little Bill. What's his name? Uh, <laughs> sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. What's yeah. his name? Yeah. Um, because you're shameless. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, you said that, I can't. I, I'm um, what's his, I'm trying to think of his character's name in there because um, they also used him uh, Martin William H Macy William H Macy. So when William yeah. H Macy he's talking to uh, those clients and they're they and he told <gasps> them on the phone and they come in and they're either getting mad at him. He oh. says, "Let me go see what my boss can do," and he just goes in the workroom I know. and he just watches his coworker watch hockey. <laughs> I know. And then he just walks out. I just love his coworker though. Oh. He's sitting there like eating toast, watching hockey, and then that's it. Like oh. it's just that. That's exactly what Minnesota's like. But and here's the other thing though. I, I love William H Macy because few can play a man distressed as well. Oh as Oh my gosh. His, his facial features, I mean, you name any film, uh, I, I mean, uh, it just stresses me out watching oh, that. That it is, so it is so stressful. It is so stressful. stressful. Oh, it's such that a whole, great That scene. scene when he pulls up on the top of the parking garage and you see the, just the, the dead body. Oh, no, what? Oh. <laughs> oh, no, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, whenever yeah. he sees the dead body of his father-in-law oh, and then yeah. it's just the shot of his trunk opening. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. what, that movie... It is the perfect, and this is the perfect blend, uh, any movie ever, of comedy and thrilling. And, and, yeah, the pacing is fantastic. Steve Buscemi in it. Oh, my god! That cast is insane. Oh, no. It is it, so good. Yeah, love. I uh, love Fargo. Mr. Lundegaard, sorry to bother you again. Can I come in? Yeah, no, I'm kind of, I'm uh, kind of busy here. I understand. I'll keep it real short then. I'm on my way out of town, but I was wondering... Do you mind if I sit down? Carrying a bit of a load here. No. I... Yeah, it's this vehicle I asked you about yesterday. I was just wondering. Yeah, like I told you, we haven't had any vehicles go missing. Okay. Are you sure? Because, I mean, how do you know? Because, see, the crime I'm investigating, the perpetrators were driving a car with dealer plates, and they called someone who works here, so it would be quite a coincidence if they weren't, you know, connected. Yeah, I see. So, how do you... Have you done any kind of inventory recently? The car's not from our lot, ma'am. But how do you know that for sure without doing a... Well, I would know. I'm the executive sales manager. Yeah, but I understand. We run a pretty tight ship here. I know, but... Well, how do they establish that, sir? I mean, are the cars counted daily, or what kind of a routine here? Ma'am, I answered your question. I'm sorry, sir? Ma'am, I answered your question. Godfather Part 2, why over Part 1? Uh, uh, the De Niro backstory. It's insane. Uh, I, I, I wish, um, and I, I don't know how much you, you'd have to pay Francis Ford Coppola and, and who would write this thing, but it would be so great um, to have a prequel yeah. of 
Vito Corleone. You know, the, you get those glimpses uh, in Godfather Part Two, which I just love that. The show's the making of them. It's and perfect. When you, when you go back and rewatch the scenes that they cut out and how we got revenge and all this kind of stuff, it, 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 is, it is such a great story. It is such a great story. And that's why I like it over one. It, 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 um, because him coming to America and how he gets there and his mom and the sacrifice she yeah. made. And um, yeah, I love that story and the, and the revenge and how he goes back there uh, when the the Sicilian Godfather's an old man and there's no men in the city anymore, he killed them all. Yeah, I uh, anybody would rival him. There are two two things I feel like are underrated about Godfather and Godfather Part Two. First of all, Godfather One, the best performance in that movie is not Marlon Brando; it's uh, Al Pacino. Oh yeah, Michael Corleone is a better it, that his perform. It's just it's the one scene. I don't. Where are they going? Is it to the? It's when he is he going to the restaurant and it, he's in the back seat uh-huh. and they change routes. Yeah, they change routes and do it's the just, U-turn. Yeah, it's yeah. just watching his face yeah. during that yeah. scene is oh. like oh. it's a masterclass. It's that's, done. That, that's Pacino uh, at, at his greatest. Here's the thing: when you watch two, um, is Pacino when he walks in the room, he doesn't have to say anything, and it's chilling. Yep. His performance in two, he is like the black angel of death. He is. It's he's uh, completely gone. Yeah, and and he's terrifying. Yeah, he's terrifying. He is terrifying. Yeah. The uh, I I think Godfather Part Two is the greatest sequel of all time because it's a prequel and a sequel at the same time. Yeah. But it's a thematic parallels. It's like <sighs> it's it's so great. It's it, it almost feel like Coppola said, "I told you I could do this." Here, here, I can show yeah, you again. Yeah, yeah, and and get out of my way. I'm gonna cast these other guys. It's yeah. it's that four movie four picture run that yeah. Coppola had. The I think it's the greatest four the movies. Two, in the succession. two Godfathers conversation and, and Apocalypse, Apocalypse Now. Oh, God, like no one, no one can, no one can beat that. <laughs> no, no, that uh, no one can top that. Don Corleone, I, I wish you would have let me know you were coming. I I could have prepared something for you. I didn't want you to know I was coming. You heard what happened in my home? Mike, I almost died myself. It was all so relieved. In my home! In my bedroom where my wife sleeps! Where my children come and play with their toys. In my home. I want you to help me take my revenge. Here's the thing. I think he got his, his nuts crunched on all of those, though. No, yeah. I, 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 and, and you look back, he's one of the ones that, so far ahead of his time, I mean, the Godfathers obviously were huge payoffs. Uh, it goes and does the conversation. Nobody really knows about it. Uh, probably one of Gene Hackman's best films ever. Yes, I agree. And, and, and then Apocalypse Now, there was all the stories circulating around that. That thing's still amazing. Oh, Unbelievable film. I think everybody who went and saw Apocalypse Now saw it like twenty times. Yeah, it's like two thousand one. It's like one of those films that 
Those who went and saw it, they saw it over and over and over again. Apocalypse Now, when it was shown at the Cannes Film Festival, it wasn't done being edited yet. Yeah. There was like a three and a half hour cut, yeah. and there was still like rough areas in it, and yeah. it still won the Palme d'Or. <laughs> it, like it was, there was still oh. like, yeah, this movie, this is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, and, and genius, genius casting Martin Sheen in that role. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. All of them. Yeah. And, and Dennis the way, Hopper. Well, Hopper's fantastic, and, and the way he used Brando. In the shadows, and um, that—that's that's a, that's a true sign of Coppola's genius because he was able to. It's it's like and, I feel and, like and stories Brando like that. was just milking him for money. Exactly, three million dollars for three weeks. He just wanted more money out of him. You, well, you think about like split decisions like that, or like day of decisions, or like where it's like money's running out, time's running out. You have to make a decision, and you're out and in the middle of freaking nowhere. Yeah, and everyone's going insane. Yeah, and you and it's just so you make the genius decision there. He's he's one of those guys. I don't know what he's like on set, but like he and Spielberg, so kind of feel they seem like they are cool customers, man. Yeah, they, they're they're cool with everyone. They don't lose it on anyone. You know, they got Lucas all these the pressures. Same. Yeah, they have all these pressures. They just keep focused on their vision. Uh, they're not snapping. Scorsese at seems like that, except we're more energetic. But I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. think I've ever heard a story about Scorsese freaking out on set. No, I think he probably just loves his actors so much and the people he's working with. He's so grateful. Yeah. Um, I mean, all those guys though too. If you look at it, I mean, the the cinematographers they've worked with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Phenomenal. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, we're gonna move on to albums. Music for these last uh, yeah. ten or we can talk ten books, or so. Comic books. Oh, well, we, we will. We will in the future. Right. Okay, so let me... I haven't looked at this... Bigfoot? We can talk about Bigfoot if you want to. Uh, <laughs> we could talk about Bigfoot. That's a big... That's a big... You have so many wild... Um, interest in different things that I, I... It's hard for me to ever pick anything. Okay, so... Skateboarding? Making skateboards? Uh, London Will Calling. Cross? We've already talked London Calling a little yeah. bit. I think it's the greatest album of all time, bar none. And for my money, that it's track to track, twenty tracks of just of just perfect rock, perfect like nothing. There's not one song on that album that sounds like Spanish Bombs, Rudy Can't Fail, yeah, there's no Guns of Brixton, there's no cheats. Coca Cola, no Throwaways. Now, and that's that may be I don't know that Train or, Vein. yeah that or Imperial Bedroom, I don't know which, probably the albums I've listened to the most in my yeah. life over and over and over again. My original copy of. Uh, um, London Calling. I listened to that thing so many times. I think it was almost smooth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was. Uh, yeah, listen to that a lot. Um, yeah, it, it, it was. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else we can say about There's it. There's nothing else to really yeah. say. Although yeah. I do think that Combat Rock is a good contender for greatest Clash album, but London Calling wins every time. At the time, Combat Rock came out. It was super this, pop. Is a very popular mainstream. Uh, that's when the mainstream heard about the Clash. So for a lot of people who were Clash fans beforehand, we, we kind of uh, bristled at the fact that um, some my best friend's little sister is running around singing "Should, should I Stay or Should I, I Go." go? It was bothersome, right? Yeah. It, but um, now that all that time has passed, and and you look back. Uh, with with hindsight, and look at that, and you say, "Yeah, it's still a great album." No, yeah, totally. Yeah. I agree.
contender for me for my favorite Beatles album. It's one of them, but I don't think it's my number one. Rubber Soul. Yeah. And I used to think you were crazy in this being your favorite Beatles album because I used to be a huge Revolver fan yeah. in high school. Well, I love Revolver too. I know, oh no, I know, yeah. but I always, I, when I would listen to Rubber Soul and be like, yeah. how, this man's insane. This is yeah. just a pop album, but it's it like, but it's like, it's the best like, pop album. It is the greatest pop album of all time because it's yeah. the Beatles like honed their craft, like, please, please me all the way through help. Then Rubber Soul was like, that, like, we're just going to leave it on the floor. And then they're like, okay, well, now we're going to venture new areas. But Rubber Soul, I mean, it's still had like Norwegian Wood. It's still had yeah, like it funky, meaningful, funky, meaningful funky, songs, funky songs, but. It, uh, to me, Rubber Soul is uh, the, uh, the Beatles in college. Yeah. It, it, to me, it's like uh, the perfect college. I'm like, you should have a copy of To Kill a Mockingbird and Beatles Rubber Soul when you walk off your freshman year of college. Heck right? yeah. I mean, that, 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 that should leave, that should be packed in your bags. Um, it, the, it, the Rubber Soul is um, when I stopped worrying about pop music. So let me explain. I used to have a very deep aversion to anything called pop music. Yeah. Because pop music was that garbage that was played endlessly on the radio, and it was sepid, saccharine, and there was no meaning to it, and it just burned your ears, and yeah. I never listened to it. Um, I don't know much about music. I, I can go on a piano, keyboard, and find middle C, and that's the extent of my musical knowledge. <laughs> but I know when I hear a song and I like it, or a type of music and I like it. Yeah. And that the opposite is true. I know when I hear something I don't, don't like, like it. it. Yeah. That's why I've, I never have listened to the radio. I've ne- uh, uh, you can ask me. You can list the top fifty songs of nineteen eighty four that were top played songs on the radio. I probably would have heard some of them just through osmosis. Yeah, but I don't own any of it, and I never sat down to listen to it. Right, it was yeah. played at school dances or church dances or something. <laughs> but but the Beatles' Rubber Soul, um, in in my mind, is um, the quintessential pop album, and it what it's what makes good pop music and pop music okay. the The songs are very similar structure. Uh, there's meaning to them. There's uh, uh, interesting lyrics. There's lyrical twists, um, but at, at the bottom line, they're fun and enjoyable yeah, songs. Yeah. And, and, and to me, that's what uh, that's what makes Rubber Soul so great. Because there's depth of meaning, but there doesn't have to be if you don't no. want it. No. The songs are entertaining all by themselves, or it's great uh, for, as an and that's, album. And that's what the Beatles were perfect at, yeah. I think, to the end. Except for... The Rolling Stones wrote better music. Yeah, but but the but the Beatles made better albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree, one hundred percent. That's the girl, what she wanted to be. She said, "Baby, can't you see? I wanna be famous, a star on the screen." But over Scary Monsters? I, I love... Okay, so I love Scary Monsters because my sister got it for me for Christmas with B-52's Wild Planet. 
and it was my first Bowie album, and it means a lot to me. Yeah. Uh, um, but And I love the album, and I love it so much, and it has such an emotional meaning to me that I can't tell if it's good or bad, but I love every song yeah. on there. Um, Hunky Dory is a fantastic album. Uh, it, it, to me, is a lot like uh, The Clash's London Calling in that there's all these different yeah, musical styles. But still so It's so good. They do a, they do a tribute song to the Velvet Underground on Yeah. They they have a song about Andy Warhol. Uh, I mean, um it, it to me it's it's Bowie kind of and not literally, but metaphorically coming out of the closet and saying, I'm not gonna be this Davy Jones character anymore. No, yeah. I'm gonna be David Bowie. And David Bowie uh, is going to be avant-garde, I'm gonna push the envelope, and I'm gonna explore things. And you know what? I don't care if I'm popular and I have stadium crowds, sellouts. I'm doing what I think is the leading edge. No, yeah. And to me, that's what Hunky Dory is. And if you look back to Hunky Dory, there are songs that are family sing-along songs like Kooks. Totally. Which, which I love. And there, and there are songs on there that you would never sing to your family. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, there, there's imagery in those songs um, of... Uh, the sky cracking open and a hand coming down and stuff where um, at different points in your life can mean different things and to me um, I, I just find that album inspiring yeah yeah it, uh, it's just I just love it just love it. it it's I always thought of it as Bowie's piano album it's like I don't know why I always felt like was he 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 really and I feel like that with a lot of his albums I feel like uh, Ziggy Stardust is his guitar album and Hunky Dory is his piano album, and then and then, and then he goes into the you know, really techno pop. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I, I think so. It, it, it is. It's, it's. It has a lot of kind of that. What is like ballroom? Uh, you know, New Orleans style jazz totally. piano sound to it. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I'd say. Especially if you listen to like Oh You Pretty Things. Oh You Pretty Things, yeah. And the beginning of Life on Mars. Yeah, they're all piano-led. It's super cool. Yeah, love it. Will you stay in a lover's story? If you stay, you won't be sorry Cause we believe in you Soon you'll grow So take a chance with a couple of cooks Hung up on romancing Will you stay in a lover's story? If you stay, you won't be sorry Cause we believe in you Soon you'll grow So take a chance with a couple of cooks Hung up on romancing Love, 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 love. I'm trying to pick between these last two, uh, Simon and Garfunkel bookends. That's another one that should be with uh, Rubber Soul when I you agree. go to college. Yeah. I agree. Uh, that was like my first adult album that I really liked. So I listened the heck out of that one in high school. I got it from my sister. She had bought it when she was in high school. I don't think my brother was into Simon and Garfunkel. He was listening to Steely Dan and Elton John and stuff like that. <laughs> and, and that's what the kind of music his band was playing, the Doobie Brothers. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't know that he was really into Simon and Garfunkel. So I picked that up. I inherited it. I would play the vinyl all the time. And, and I just love those songs. Uh, I mean, there's songs on there about uh, Kellogg's Corn Flakes and Coming to America. 
and old people in retirement homes. Yeah. And it, uh, it, it's got Mrs. Robinson on it. It, it, it has everything. Every song is fantastic. Uh, there's songs about uh, being a traveling wanderer on there. Um, and and um, I love the harmonization between between the two. Art Garfunkel is a phenomenal voice. Yeah. But Paul Simon has got to be, um, I don't want to say songwriter, but top five uh, lyricist of all time. Oh, yeah. I think Elvis Costello is the reigning king. Nobody can write lyrics like that guy. Yeah. Um, um, but it, it's, it, Paul Simon's just up there. Uh, at the zoo, I mean, um, giving those animals personalities and... Uh, uh, it, there's just, uh, I don't know, drug-induced, <laughs> probably. No, totally, yeah. But, but the, the, uh, uh, there, there is definitely uh, a, a quality that is unique to Paul Simon. And, and that, that's one of the things about some artists, uh, and I think some great artists, they have a signature style that you either go for it and yeah. you love it, or you, prob- you probably don't. Yeah. And, and Paul Simon is one of those that... Um, I just dig it. I, uh, the things that the way that he, he puts phrases together, um, the right, way that he writes verse, um, it, it's like a Robert Frost poem. Robert yeah. Frost just Walt Whitman's the same way. Yeah, I just love that. That's, Emerson. Yeah, the way that they write, I, um, I just love it. Hemingway's the same way. I know a lot of people find him boring. I, I love Hemingway and I love the way he writes. And, and uh, there's just a quality that for, for me I can taste it in my mouth. Yeah. And it just tastes good. First song to last song, uh, n- I've never heard anybody write lyrics like no, that. No, yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The imagery, the everything, the way he ties phrases together, he, he'll take a simple thing, and he'll he'll rephrase it, and he creates. He's a wordsmith too, and it's just uh, yeah, he's he's unparalleled. He's the best. Yeah. Um, and then I would say that the Paladinos. Uh, uh, are do for television what Elvis Costello does for pop music? Yeah, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, they they are probably they're probably some of the best writers of dialogue ever. Yeah, yeah. It's how it's it's how it all works together though. It's not just clever lines. <laughs> no, it's about it's, the layers to it. Oh, and it's 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 extremely appropriate and perfect for that character. Yeah, no, they, yeah. They are. Um, they're amazing. They're amazing. I, and and they 
uh, it must be just phenomenal instincts, and they just well, go with their instincts. This, the big thing about the Paladinos that, and this goes for Aaron Sorkin too, that I hate it when people talk about like, I hate it when people say, real people don't talk like that. I'm like, I know, it's a TV show. It's a movie. Art like, is supposed to be exaggerated reality. Exactly, yeah. It's not supposed to be reality. Relax. Yeah. yeah. You're, if we you want to hear people talk, right. go out yeah. in public. Like, it's boring. You're watching a movie. Yeah. It's supposed to be entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to talk to guys at work. They're incredibly boring. Yeah. yeah. Any closing remarks on any of these? Or, uh, or pop culture in general? Here, take, take a look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we just talked about uh, music and film, and, and you know, there's, there's so much... More. Um, I mean, we'll do books. Yeah, I mean, you, well, I'm going to have you on again, yeah, for sure. Uh, Kennedy's going to put me on next week, too. So Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. We're going to talk about the, uh, other things. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. But um, Sasquatch. Sasquatch, horror, ghosts, uh, real-life things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, all that right stuff up that likes, Serial yeah. killers, you know, yeah. the stuff that Kennedy likes. Yeah, um, adorable true for, crime. A, for a young girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what a great young daughter. We <laughs> uh, on a steady diet of uh, you know, equal parts Ted Bundy and... Uh, well, how about, how about this? I always ask people this, what are you watching right now? Or what are you enjoying right now in pop culture? What's something that if, if you could tell people to listen to, watch... Oh, gosh. Or so, read right so now, what would it be? We are in a new golden age, probably the platinum age of culture. Yeah. Because technology has made everything so accessible. Yes. Yeah. So um, the, the thing that, okay, what, what kind of is uh, a seed in me that I'm really interested in is the local Provo music scene because it's this interesting blend of folk music and bluegrass and a little bit of country music. Um, not really styles that I necessarily love or I, I would follow, but I think that it, uh, it needs to be documented. And, and house parties happening in places like Velour and Three Hive where they're hosting these types of things. And there's lots of musical talent here and these artists, and I think it's unique. So if you think back to the late 1980s and early 1990s, uh, you, you had Seattle and Portland and Eugene to a lesser degree because they're like on islands, the Pacific Northwest is so freaking far away from everybody, they created these local scenes, and out of these local scenes stemmed all this talent, and they had their own unique musical approach, uh, um, and, and their music sounded different than everyone else. New York in the mid-1970s yeah. to early, early 1980s, it was the same thing down the Bowery at CBGB. In Los Angeles in the 1980s, you, you have these scenes that build and flourish, and they're unique. And I think Provo's having one of those right now. They had one earlier in Neon Trees and Imagine Dragons, and those bands kind of launched, but they were stylistically very different, sounded very different than, than what's bands, going on right now. Than what's going on right now. And, and, and so I, I think that um, this art, this scene, needs to be documented. And I think that uh, somebody like yourself or your sister yeah. w- would be wise to start attending these things, interview these people, and film. Um, uh, when I was in college, it was ska music. Really? And, yeah. Yeah, that was the thing. And, wow. And there was like all these ska bands that were playing around. And across the street from Smith's, the grocery store. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, you've there, always pointed that place that out. Place, that, that's where they would have uh, bands would go there and play. And they play at the Ivy Tower also, which is now a place for uh, uh, wealthy children with drug problems. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It, 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 and um, so I so I, I feel very passionately about that. And these bands are getting signed and they're uh, creating albums and it's unique. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, three and, Hive is a great area because of that, too. Yeah, no, th- Three Hive kind of thrives uh, uh, from that. And I think that, so I think that all that, like things like Three Hive and Belour are the ancillary pieces of this, but they feed into the scene. Yeah. And I think BYU and UVU, and you have bands coming up from California to be a part of this. I think that's an. There are a lot of. There's this one California band that comes up here all the time to play too. That I know. That I think a it's lot important. Like. I think it's important. And and um, I mean, say what you want about uh, uh, LDS culture. There are a lot of things that um, I would love to go on one of these shows and <laughs> rant about. But we'd love um, to. There there are some unreal musically gifted people. And, yeah. And um, and, and in their own nerdy square way. Um, they're kind of like this throwback, and it's it's uh, it's nerdy, unique, and it's their own, and I think that's what makes it cool. Um, that's awesome because they're they're doing their own thing. You know, they're not trying to be uh, something else. Talking heads. Yeah. Well, they can't be, but uh, so yeah. I, I think that's great. Um, so, uh, your mom and I are watching Mrs. Maisel second time through. We're gonna watch it a third time through. Love that. Watching Jack Ryan. Um, so as far as television goes, um, there's there's stuff like that. I I um, you know I, I think I'm gonna watch Better Call Saul uh, seasons again. Um, so good. Yeah, I, th- I think to me it, it's probably um, the best thing uh, on on television. There's not much it's else. The smartest. Yeah, yeah. I, there's not much else out there that I really follow. I love. Turner Classic Movies, and I love, I built this library of all these yeah. movies on uh, YouTube TV. I think that's fantastic. So I've got this 100-plus film library that I can go in there and watch every time. There's always about six films that I'm watching. I can only watch for like a half hour at a time before your mom pulls me to some project or you come yeah, over yeah. there with Sarah and kick me out of the basement. <laughs> so um, I, I'm, I'm watching a lot of those, and I'm trying not to watch anything that I've seen before. That's what so, I'm doing too. Yeah, so I'm not watching anything yeah, I've seen before. So everything, everything is is trying yeah. to be fresh and new to me, um, and uh, so th- that's what I'm doing. I'm probably watching about four films a week, probably, um, which is great because there's been a lot of them that I've always wanted to watch, and and uh, um, like the Searchers when we watched. Yeah, that was so that. good. So good. I, the Searchers is a, gr- yeah. is a great movie for pacing. That movie was ins- it's th- whoever edited that. It's insane how how well they edited that movie back then. Yeah. Like it is, it's like its pacing is up with like movies we have now. Because yeah. older movies naturally are a little bit more slow, but like it yeah. is a quick yeah. moving movie. Yeah. No, it's it's. Uh, yeah, there there's just and yeah. So that was that was a recent uh, great one. That's then international cinema. This week I don't think there's anything there that I want to see. Uh, but next week, Rafifi's there. I'm going to go oh, see I'm totally going to go see Rafifi. Yeah, there's, I think there's like two films I'm going to go see. Uh, the last weekend, Signatorious for the first time ever. I can't believe it's going to be this long. Now I, I got to see it. Now I got to see Spellbound. You guys see Spellbound. I got to see Spellbound. Shadow of a Doubt. I haven't uh, seen Spellbound or Shadow of a Doubt or The Wrong yeah. Man. The Wrong Man's with Peter Fonda, right? Yep. Yeah. Henry Fonda. No, 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 Henry Fonda. Yeah. 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 yeah no, that, I want to see that. Um, now that so there's just there's just stuff like that. Um, there, I've got such a long list of uh, music I want to listen to, uh, films I want to see, and then there's I, I just like I said I, I kind of like it. we're in this new neo, which means new, 
uh, can I say new in another different way? Yeah. <laughs> uh, of kind of like this platinum age where uh, there's so much accessibility on media. So much. God, there's so much great stuff. I, you look at some of these things that are coming on TNT and TBS, this original program, which is fantastic. It's like, well, it's, it's kind of weird because it's like, it's because everything's so accessible that we're just accelerating quality on in all areas so rapidly and so quickly. Well, if you look at it, um, not only winning eyes, but winning awards, it's all this original programming yeah. stuff. Mrs. Maisel and, and all, all of these things. Atlanta, stuff like that. And, and for a lot of these creators, the shackles are off. Yeah. I can go to Amazon Prime and I have editorial Complete review. Creativity. creativity. And, and, and I don't have to worry about censors. No, not at all. You know, I don't, I don't have to. And, and having, uh, you know, worrying about our sponsors, who's going who's gonna to sponsor this oh, yeah. thing. It's, it's fantastic. Um, I, I was talking to my mom about this last night and, and um, trying to explain to her, because she still watches 60 Minutes in the Evening News. And I said, yeah, your generation's the last of that because the long narrative podcasts. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Podcast is kind of like the, oh, it's the, fantastic. the big thing. Yeah. Podcasts and YouTube. I love it. Um, but what, what has happened is um, because of the corruption and the editorial and the slant in the media, that the media, you know, everything from CNN to Fox has, has given everything. Nobody trusts it anymore. Just yellow journalism everywhere. Yeah. So the long narrative, like what Joe Rogan does on his show and stuff like that, where you get 90 minutes of an interview, unedited, low uh, uh, production value. It's three guys in a row. Low stakes. Low yeah, stakes. You're, sit, you're talking. Just sitting and talking. That's what people want. Yeah. That's what they trust. They don't want it altered. And they don't. And they don't want a bunch of production value on this. No. Thing. I don't trust that. And 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 inherently, I I am the same way. And and the the other thing, like, and not just keep pimping Joe Rogan, but he, he is he's the best out there. Yeah, I, he that is. I can see. He's a great interviewer. And, well, Marin's fantastic too. But Rogan, he is. Such a broad range of things that he's interested in. Ninety nine percent of them I'm interested in. Everything yeah. from MMA to psychedelic drugs. Not that I do psychedelic drugs, but I'm they're interesting. Yeah. yeah, and he, not only is he a great interviewer, he, he he talks about stuff that he knows about, and he has interesting viewpoints. He's not some rube in there, yeah. answer, having a producer pump questions into his ear, reading off of a list about stuff he doesn't know what he's talking about. No, yeah. And uh, so it, it is, it's an honest approach, kind of truth-seeking to, to a certain extent, uh, but allows you the ability to um, create your own conclusions based off of it, as opposed to a 60 minutes chopping up an interview with somebody and spoon-feeding you yeah. what they want you to yeah. think about something. Yeah. yeah, I don't trust that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, well, thank you so much for coming yeah, on. Absolutely. This is great. We'll have you on again. Apparently, you're going to be on with Kennedy. You'll be a, a friend of the show, recurring guest. Kennedy's I I can imagine I'm excited to hear it. In the background, while you're here, thank you for coming on. I'm your fear.